0: This is the shift podcast.
1: Today on the shift daily podcast, what role does Cuba play on the world stage and how does Canada interact with it? Mark Entwistle, managing partner at Cuba Capital and former Canadian ambassador to Cuba, helps us understand what we need to know about Cuba, the past Fidel Castro and why Canadians need to pay attention to Cuba. And uh, by the way, Fidel Castro pops over for a drink after work on his way home. What does that look like? The answer is weird. But for more stick around. Are you okay with pickleball? How about scuba diving and so much more on the shift daily podcast. There have been some really ugly stories out of Ukraine in the last year and a bit and there have been some uh, more ugly ones lately. And I think that as we have forest fires burning in Canada and dams getting blown up in Ukraine sometimes there are stories that sort of slide quietly under the radar. Like there's only so much time to talk about the news or else we would all be very sad always. And there is one story that caught my attention that I found particularly concerning. And one thing that I've learned about myself in this journey of meeting so many Ukrainians and bringing them here on the show and, and sharing those stories across Canada is the appetite and, uh, tenacity and resilience of those people i have also become a bit of a fan of trying to figure out what politicians are up to cuba way back in the day everybody started building bomb shelters in north america because russia made friends with cuba My guest right now has been involved with Cuba. He's Canadian. He's been involved with Cuba forever, former ambassador to Cuba, and uh, does business getting involved. Things in Cuba, if you're not going to an all-inclusive resort, have not been great for a lot of people. And what does Cuba need? Well, it needs food, actually. And what is Russia doing? They're kind of moving back in. They're cozying up to their uh, to their old cousin and making friends again a little bit. And we're starting to see these articles of these channels that are c- being created. At least that's what's alleged. Mark Antwistle is our guest. Mark, thanks for being here. You've spent most of your life, uh, you know, studying, learning, being around these, these people, this place. Couldn't have picked a more beautiful place <laughs> to do work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate you.
2: Uh, No problem, Shane. My pleasure.
1: So are we seeing a rebirth of new relationships or or of old relationships going on here between Russia and Cuba? Because I'm curious, because that would have a big impact on Canada.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the relationship between the Cubans and the Russians is an interesting one to watch. Um, and I think what we are seeing is a bit of a, is a definite acceleration in the in in kind of the level of contact between them. Shane, it's not particularly new, because it has been going on for I would say maybe the last decade or so. Um, you may recall that after the Soviet Union collapsed and uh, um, the Russian economy, you know, plummeted, et cetera, et cetera, and the Russians all they pulled out of uh, of Cuba um the 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 whole old socialist trading system of the global trading system collapsed all that stuff that we remember following the end of the cold war the russians left cuba they used to be there you know significantly um and they left cuba lock stock and barrel um gone and uh but a number of years ago they started coming back but they started coming back as tourists Suddenly, because you had these young Russian professional, especially Er Moscow young, you know, know, kind of lawyers and accountants Mm -hmm. and folks like that who had some money to spend finally, and they were starting to get on planes to go into Cuba. So you'd hear Russian all the time starting again in Cuba. Then the business guys came back. But it has... Definitely accelerated, uh, I think, at a political level. And I think part of the fundamental reason why is because, as you alluded to, the Cubans are in a nasty situation in terms of their mm-hmm. economy. And uh, they will take uh, business and help from really anybody who shows up at their door.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, the vacuum of Americans, too, is probably nice for Russians because it's one place you can go really anywhere in the world where you, you for the most part, would never run into an American. Um, so if you were of uh, some sort of communist or socialist political nature, that's probably a, probably a delightful place f- for you to go and not have to do that. I mean, also, I would say that if, if I'm in Russia, and I, I'm, you know, talking about relationships and places where my people want to go from the Russian lens, why wouldn't you openly promote or at least allow travel to Cuba? pretty safe place where people don't come home with big notions and bad ideas you know
2: (laughs) yeah 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 and and for the you know and the russians you know you know put on their little bathing suits and stuff and it's a tropical place and it has they have history there you know there's cubans who back from the day when the soviets were there there's lots of Cubans who are come from um, uh, mixed marriages, Russian-Cuban marriages. Um, you know, they speak Russian. They're Cubans. They're 100% Cuban, but they still speak Russian. They have Russian names. Um, so there's there's a there is a a, a bit of a cultural connection uh, between the two beyond the politics.
1: Now, if I can ask you to go back in time and put on your ambassador hat when yeah. you worked for Canadians um do you see that uh, i'm going to use sort of a more (laughs) layman language but russia seems to be running out of friends and really cozying up to the few friends that they seem to have left and i don't mean customers i just mean friends and they it, it should be concerning to me how this starts to play out right there's a bit of a deflection a little bit of a distraction a little bit of uh, low pressure access to a place like that. Plus not to mention proximity. So should we, as Canadians from the, what we expect of our government or what's happening, should we be paying very close attention to this? Because then that gives Russia potentially, and I don't mean to be apocalyptic about it, but I think I am in my heart that gives Russia access on another side. They're already our neighbor on the top. And if they have access from the bottom, that becomes problematic for Canada
2: yeah and you know for those who sit who watch this kind of thing and 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 not just professionals and defense analysts and blah 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 and all those kinds of people but you know for everyday people yeah it is something i think that we all have to watch um i've been around the cuba uh uh you know scene for a really long time and um um I do not believe that we're looking at even the seeds of a return or even the hint of a return to something like the Cuban Missile Crisis situation where the Russians put offensive military weapons into Cuba. Um, I think it's a different kind of relationship. It's a different time. Uh, the Cubans have a much more sophisticated set of relationships in the world uh, with countries that they, you know, that they, they do value um those have suffered you know recently but uh they 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 maintain relatively you know good operating relationships with the europeans and with the mexicans and and the latin americans and with canada as well although the relationship with canada is probably best described as as you know proper and correct it's not overly friendly or 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 not friendly it just kind of operates on its own you know uh, operating system, um, so I, I I think the Cubans are are certainly not looking to be caught up in that kind of big superpower geopolitical stuff that they were in the early 1960s. So I think people can sort of, sort of sleep at night in that sense uh, that that's not where the Cubans are going and probably not where the Russians are going. Would the Russians like to tweak the American nose? For sure. Being the, your point about proximity is right on the mark. This is ninety miles away, but oh, uh, so I think I think beyond uh, some uh, uh, you know uh, you know kind of you know chest pumping a little bit and some provocative language from time to time, you might see a Russian warship into Havana, you know Havana port where they do these naval exchange visits. Although I wouldn't even be overly worried about that, frankly, because we put our own ships into into Havana from time to time. The the Canadian Navy goes down there and uh, in a different, slightly different time, the Americans would probably put a, a friendly naval visit into Havana. So I'm totally worried too much about that. But it, but you do have to watch it, though, just in case there's some level of crazy that takes root.
1: Yeah. Well, and we've seen that, haven't we? Some level oh, of yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, so- So you said that Cuba's working on sort of cultivating new, I'm paraphrasing, cultivating new relationships in the world today versus what it was. Now, when you were ambassador, Fidel Castro was there. I'm curious about that because I do know that you spent quite a bit of time in conversation, obviously, because of all things political. and, And you get to know a guy a little bit when you're doing business constantly. I'm curious about what we've misunderstood about him and where they've grown as an organization, and I, I use that word intentionally because there's some real organizational intention there, uh, to where they are today and how it's grown and changed, what we misunderstand about from where it was when it was full on communist, um, you know, yeah. is dictator, maybe the right word, uh, authoritarian, if you will.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um <laughs> when i was ambassador in, in to cuba i i ended up actually spending a lot of time with fidel castro which was quite a bizarre experience as you might imagine it's not the normal kind of guy you sort of hang around with yeah, but right. you know to your point shane in the absence of the americans and at that time still in 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 the uh, sort of uh, mid 1990s uh you know the the europeans were there and others but but uh, Canada was, uh, in a way, uh, a larger fish in a, in a small pond, and the relationship with Canada was particularly important to the Cubans. And so I got a lot of access, uh, not because of me personally or anything, but uh, uh, because carrying the kind of the Canada card. And I think you know Castro took enough of a liking to me that he went you know a bit further than was the norm. So I did have a lot of access to him. And I spent quite a bit of time um, in personal conversation with them. Bizarre, you know, quite quite strange, surrealistic moments. Sometimes, you know, he'd sometimes stop by the the residence of the ambassador and just stop in himself alone on his way home, kind of home from work, kind of thing. and you know, well, to have a, a drink or something, and 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 uh, you know, talk about stuff. So. I, I did kind of get a, a a bit more of a sense of him than 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 maybe you know lots of other folks, uh, which was one of the interesting parts of my time there. Um, but in terms of things that I think we've missed about uh, the Cuba about Cuba and and coming and out of the during the, the Fidel Castro period, but also you know now coming coming now well out of it because he's passed passed away a number of years ago. Um, I think two things one is how and that i noticed and i found it with him too even personally how notably um um how do i put this uh un non-ideological or unideological they were um uh there's sort of kind of a, 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 a it's not a lip service but uh but a. Uh, uh, a, a sort of a public commitment to s- you, uh, certain words like socialism and that kind of thing. But whenever I spoke to him, he never said a word about anything ideological whatsoever. He was much more interested in 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 how the you know a, a, a business would work and how kind of Canada was put together and how we dealt you know in Canada with with um, 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 conflicts between different regions and conflicts between, you know, historic uh, uh, misunderstandings between French Canada and English Canada. It was all quite, it was never, never the word communism never, ever came up. And um, uh, what I found with the Cubans, and and you do see this, you know, continuing today, is, is, is how kind of pragmatic and practical they are. These guys are kind of survivalists and they will morph and warp and change and transform ideas uh, to a degree um, uh, as required by circumstance. So the first thing I found was kind of how more practical they were and less ideological. And the second piece that I I did, I found dealing with them, both Castro and other members of the leadership over many, many years, was um, kind of how adaptable they are to changing circumstance because the Cuba of 2023, as uh, bad as it is at a macroeconomic level, and it's in rough shape, let me assure you, for a whole pile of reasons that so I'm happy to talk about if 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 you want to, um, uh, but it bears no resemblance to the Cuba, for example, of the early 1960s and mid-1960s when when uh you know they were experimenting more with kind of socialist models and all of this kind of stuff. Uh they built a private sector. It's small, they're semi-privatizing their economy. Um, and uh they're they've 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 sort of uh, they're constantly adapting uh to whatever they need to do. Um And the reason why I think that's important, that when we're looking at Cuba in the future, not just Canadians and the Canadian government, but I'd I'd include the Americans as well, um, uh, to the degree to which we can understand them as not kind of slaves to an old Marxist ideology, but rather uh, quite practical, uh, adaptive kind of evolutionists now, rather than revolutionaries, this gives us a lot more options to deal with them.
1: So they must have to move slowly, though, from the perspective of business, because at this point, I mean, they are so in the negative, if you will, for development, privatization, all of that, even though it's happening. There could be, especially tourism, uh, a massive tsunami of money that comes crashing into that country, but it's probably going to be a pretty short wave, and they're going to sell a lot of their soul in order to get it. Um, you don't want a bunch of Americans or or even Canadians coming in and owning the beaches, right, all the good land and, and all of that, so... It, it to me it seems like that place where it's great to go into you know a new business where you can sell the hot new item but if you can't be sustainable in that you're going to just kick your problems and defer them down the road that i mean i know that with your business stuff you know investment that that's such an important part and that must be almost the double edged sword that they're facing right now
2: you are right on the mark, and that's a very astute comment. I have to say, because uh, they 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 do live in kind of a, on a double-edged sword uh, a little bit. Um, what they've tried to do, Shane, is to uh, open their economy to foreign investment. Uh, this is now a fundamental priority for them. The um, uh, the sort of reluctance to do so of the past uh, uh, is, is is over. They know that they need the foreign investment. But like a lot of developing countries around the world, they're quite um, um, uh, convinced that they need to retain uh, as much control and ownership over their strategic natural resources as they can, because they see them as a kind of a sovereign asset, so to speak. Uh, The reality of their economic situation, though, is if they want to attract that foreign investment, they're going to have to give up more and more and more of their pie. And this starts to change the whole conversation in Cuba about, you know, independence and sovereignty. What they and and but I do predict that what we will see is a, is an increasing, um, uh, uh, if not privatization, but an increasing role for foreign investment uh, in the Cuban economy. Foreigners can now already own, you know, 100 percent of foreign companies. It will the last stand, though, for the Cuban state in terms of adapting its its economy, will be to give up ownership of land, like things like beachfront. That that will be that will be the end. Because one thing that um, I think really animates them uh, psychologically is a a desire and a perceived need never to return to the bad old days of being 100% reliant on a foreign country and having your entire economy owned by foreigners. And in a historic context in Cuba, those foreigners were Americans who owned everything, basically, Mm -hmm. by the sort of 1950s. Uh, All the utilities, they owned two-thirds of all the arable agricultural land. And um, uh, uh, that... I. I don't think is an operating principle of Cuba for the time being. Um, uh, even if they were to change governments, for example, there would be some kind of collapse in Cuba. I would predict that even a a, a post kind of Castroite Cuban government would have quite significant foreign asset control regulations uh, that would look maybe like Canada looked in the nineteen seventies.
1: Why can't they do it like, um, I don't know, like kind of like the there are pockets of national parks and stuff like that in Canada where yeah. you can lease the land only. I mean, so even if it goes sideways, you might have to wait a few decades before you can redevelop it until the lease is up or buy out the lease and so on. But if you did it with leases on beaches, those yeah. really limited inventory real estate scenarios, why wouldn't leases and things like that work in a place like that. And then you go to some of the successful socialist uh, countries in the world, you know, um, I mean, you can, you can sort of take your pick of of where it is. But if you get into education, stuff like that, uh, Denmark comes to mind for me. Now, I'm not an expert in that. But that that really comes to mind for some of the things that are going on elsewhere in the world where you could model some uh, historical Cuba things. Perspectives, history. I mean, you still have all those crusty old folks, right, that are sitting yeah. around that they're yeah. gonna they're yeah. gonna not want to do this stuff. But yeah. at the same time, there's there's got to be a bit of a balance. It seems to me like opportunity is is really waiting if they're if they're smart about it.
2: Yeah, and uh, uh, there there's of course a generational change underway in Cuba. You know, and there's a lot of young, smart Cubans. Uh, you know, thinking about exactly these things. Um, one thing about the Cubans because uh, you know they they tend to be extremely well educated. I uh, one of the things the Cuban revolution did a whole bunch of stuff really not well <laughs> and they did some things very well and one of mm-hmm. the things that they did well I think was education and uh, right you know uh, and and so you have a highly literate educated society in in general um and uh they're smart they're 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 service agile um and uh, there are folks who 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 are thinking like this i remember when i first arrived uh in cuba uh in the mid-1990s uh and the soviet union had just collapsed shane and cuba was in a really bad situation it was called the special period in cuban language um uh in fact they're living through kind of another period that looks and feels a little bit like that right now but the early 1990s was quite bad um, uh, because all their lifelines sort of collapsed, they lost you know three quarters of their, their GNP overnight and that kind of thing. So it was not good. Um, and there was a number of uh, young Cuban uh, economists who were who were starting to plan reform and looking at the future. And your choice of Denmark is quite interesting because. Um, if if they when i used to have private conversations with them in their heart of hearts if they would like to see a place to which cuba would evolve it would be the sca- kind of scandinavian social democratic models uh, the mm-hmm. sweden or denmark or something like that or 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 even a canada um with some you know maybe some some other more you know a little more economic nationalism uh, thrown in so some of those ideas are have been in play and they're there um one of the corollaries of my of the point I made earlier about the about the adaptability, is that and what's really interesting and and equally frustrating about doing business in Cuba and being around uh, the Cuban thing, is that on one hand nothing seems possible uh, sometimes because they can be kind of bureaucratic and rigid, but on the other hand everything's possible at the same time because and it's not impossible for me to conceive of a day when uh, they look at. Um, mechanisms like leasing, for example, um, highly strategic or, or national asset areas like Beachfront or something like that, not selling it outright, but leasing it, other kinds of more uh, kind of sophisticated development ideas uh, about how to uh, combine economic development with with sustainability, with national sovereignty. Um, I've Do find the Cubans quite open to different kinds of ideas and I don't think that kind of scenario is out of the question
1: it's fascinating to me in my nature I'm a capitalist by nature right but when I look at the divisiveness and political ideology that's happening inside democracy these days yeah you start to if, if I take away all my opinion and I look at it pragmatically you start to look at socialism and some of these countries that have managed to maintain royal profile, uh history, socialist notions about it. And you start to look at these democratic countries that are extremely divided, and you kind of go, uh, there could be something here. And um again, that's not opinion, that's just a pragmatic look of how oh. things are working. Now you'd have to dig much deeper into than sort of the soapboxing of a, a radio guy. To, to really get an educated opinion on that. But but really, when you, when you look at it, it is quite fascinating and, and what an interesting place. Uh, Mark Entwistle is our, our guest here and you do business down there. You were the ambassador for Canada in Cuba. You have a long history. What is one thing about Cuba, one place, one location, um, thing about the people that you cherish the most that, that really keeps you going back? I, and the reason why I ask that, is for me. I've never been to Cuba, but in Hawaii, I cherish Hawaii, and I remember where I was when it hit me. And you yeah. know, they, they kind of talk about the spirit of aloha, right? Yeah. Every place has that. For yeah. Melanie, um, it was in the Rocky Mountains. There was a moment where it hit her, and yeah. she's like, "Yep, this this could be home for me." What's your place in Cuba?
2: Well, yeah, my ch- place in Cuba is um, a great. Uh, a, a long, um, a great bridge on the road from Hav- a highway from uh, Havana to um, Matanzas um, on uh, on the coast of Cuba, the north coast of Cuba, and this bridge goes over a very deep ravine. You know, with a river in the bottom. It's it's a very you know deep, 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 deep ravine. Kind of mountainsides going up, and often the distance is this quintessential Cuban countryside that you can transfer yourself back to say the 19th century or whatever with these Amazing. massive royal palms chain of the Caribbean, just colossal palm trees, uh off in the distance. And it's a breathtaking sight. Um the air is kind of pungent and and hot and humid, very, very Caribbean. Um and that it's it's like a kind of uh, postcard quintessential cuba it takes my breath away every time i cross and i literally cross that bridge i have to pull over and lots of people do pull over it's a uh, you know got a great look outside it's stunning that's my favorite yeah, you've place worked. yeah go ahead, uh, no, uh, it. Go ahead. I, I was going to say and i saw a lot of cuba but my my favorite uh, other thing not a place about cuban i have to say it's a particular spirit of the cuban people this yeah. is a country with a lot of deprivation and a lot of um, um, uh, uh, you know uh, sadness. You have Cuban families who are split up by migration, you know, by 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 the younger ones who are leaving the country, uh, uh, and and there is not a barely a family in Cuba that's not ripped up by uh, by this this migration impulse in Cuba. Um, and, and life can be just, uh, you know, a bit of a daily grind and there's, you know, an a, a electrical power outage there's not enough food and shortage of medicine, all this kind of stuff that, that Cubans go through every day, which they call la lucha, the daily struggle. But, you know, despite all of that, uh, uh, they have a smile, uh, there's a spirit to them. Their music is vibrant and, and, and robust and, uh, um, and, 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 you know, the 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 kind of the jazz and this is not just touristy stuff i'm not talking about touristy stuff i'm talking about walking down kind of ramshackle streets in havana and people are just alive and and uh um regardless of kind of how little they have and i i do think about all our kind of first world problems right and the, some of the right. stuff we worry about on a daily basis shane i go holy crap man uh if the cubans can kind of cope in such a way with that surely we can kind of let some stuff go
1: yeah our friend here on the shift alex cuba the uh, canadian performer who is from cuba
2: great talent yeah
1: yeah we love him and i saw him in ottawa there this winter i swear to god it was the coldest day in the history of ottawa when he was there um but we um you know he's taught me that that uh, it's a strange thing to talk about the visual when you're talking about music but uh cuban music is colorful yeah. It, and that's the only way that i can truly describe it it's it's such Absolutely. a beautiful thing mark entwistle now so you you are a canadian you've worked in service for can- canadians in canada for I a have. long time proudly now is cuba so magical though that it, it challenge of where is home because i mean it does carry that special place in your heart that that um you know it, it if anyone's gonna take a run at loving canada could be a place like cuba
2: um you know, I, I I do I do, and I in the sense of I've got a long I've got thirty years of my life kind of wrapped up, you know, with the with the Cuban people and and in and around Cuba, um, so it does have a very special place in my heart. Nothing compares to Canada, though I have to say, served the country right for yep. for twenty years, and there's nothing prouder than being overseas in a country. Um, and seeing the Canadian flag fluttering outside uh, outside your window, it's it's quite uh, uh, spectacular. And all the places i have been where I served, you know, were, were kind of all in their own way interesting. Uh, I, I was in 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 the Soviet Union um, when it was still the Soviet Union, but it was transforming. It was the period of Mikhail Gorbachev and, and there's a lot of fitestroika uh, and glassness for those of your listeners who might be old enough to remember some of those words about the great transformation of Gorbachev uh, brought to the former Soviet Union um, and, and, that, and being around the russians and understanding them more was fascinating i was in israel for three years in a in a very tricky time sandwiched between the israeli invasion of lebanon and the beginning of the first palestinian intifada and it was a just a fascinating place my first daughter was born there um so each of these places is kind of special in a way um but uh, uh yeah canada's home
1: Canada's home. Mark Entwistle, thank you very much for um, uh, giving us that important reminder, I think, about A, first world problems, and B, I love that phrase. That's what I'm going to take away is Canada's home. Thank you, sir.
2: Uh, You're welcome, Shane. Take care.
1: This
0: is The Shift Podcast. Are you... Are you... you, Okay. 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 Are you okay
1: with... Thank Buddha, it's Friday from Malcolm in Vancouver. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay. We have these stories. We want your thoughts. 877-399-9898. Some stories to make you ponder. Are you okay with
3: Pickleball? I I've never played it. Um I I don't see anything wrong with it. And it makes that really loud sound, uh, which Mm. I know some people hate. Um, But honestly, I think I'm past the point where I could pick up tennis. And I should probably, if I was going to, you know, learn. Why would would you be past the point
1: you could pick up tennis? You're young. You're spright.
3: I've got a busted ankle. Spry. Not sprite. Yeah, I'm spry. But I'm, I don't know. I'm just a little bit of a. I'm just a little fry. I'm tiny. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if tennis is, is for me pickleball seems more up my alley.
1: Well, it's slower and easier and less athletic. So
3: it's perfect. It's (laughs) fantastic.
1: I love your standard. It's a mind blowing experience. (laughs) Perfect. Less work. All right. Uh, pickleball is quite fascinating i mean it's a super fun game to play you don't have to be mega athletic to do it smaller court different kind of bounce less aggressive but still play with doubles and all that stuff in saskatchewan the provincial pickleball competitor named amanda Soloder says shares how she's feeling and tells her story about going into her first pickleball tournament
4: I think it's an opportunity to meet people that maybe I wouldn't have in my day to day. I'm probably a little bit on the younger side of the SPI size, so Saskatoon Pickleball Inc, which is uh, plays a lot in the indoor. Um, and then we also have an outdoor league as well. And I have created this sense of community with people that you can go out, you can make a, a lot, have a lot of fun, but get a really great workout in. And I think that's pretty unique in a lot of centres. Sometimes you'll go out and you'll see a young gun and you really think that they're going to give you a game and they don't know how to position, they got nothing on you. You go out and you play someone that maybe is is creeping into that 80, 85 and they will whoop you. If they know how to properly position themselves in the court, it's not about the athleticism as much as it is about understanding the game and having a really strong pickable IQ. And so it's amazing to go out there and you just can never underestimate your competitor.
1: What's your PBIQ, Ryan O'Donnell?
3: My PBIQ, uh, can can it be PBR IQ because I have a really good IQ when it comes to PAPS Blue Ribbon, but uh, no, pickleball, no,
1: no, uh, okay. Well, apparently, there is a pickleball IQ, fascinating. Mm. I wish Amanda nothing but the best and pickleball. I would put that on the list of things that I would like to try. I think that sounds fun,
3: yeah. I would try it. I, uh, yeah, it seems like a fun. I mean, I love ping pong, I love any paddle sport, badminton, I do play badminton. I'm not amazing at it, but I enjoy badminton a lot um, because you have time before the ball makes contact. You know, you can kind of like calculate hit now instead of the back and forth that's really fast with tennis. You need to watch so if,
1: like pro badminton because it is back
3: and forth like that. Oh, I know. I'm just, you know, I'm just playing casually, right? Uh, mm. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, maybe pickleball's for me. Maybe. Mm. Let's we'll try it. It's the summer. Right. Why not? Here yeah. We
1: go. Yeah. Try new things. Why not? Give it a go. Hey, why not? Mm-hmm. Ryan O'Donnell, the future athlete here. Uh, um, yeah, up Ryan's Googling right now If there's a pickleball video game So he can become an expert Pretend expert with it mm. Give it a look uh, Wouldn't you know it, by the way The internet has been so gracious To give us a pickleball song Yeah, let me introduce you To this thing called pickleball Where you use these paddles And an oversized ripple ball If you've never played You think that pickleball Just pickleball Once you start playing it, It's high just hit the winner okay time for a confessional i am really good at this i could be a professional i'ma bring a try back because our highlights are phenomenal i bet we look just like federer in raphael nadal yeah they don't look like pro players oh wait there's more pickleball song you gotta hear yeah nothing beats pickleball i'm sick of all sports where you gotta throw or kick a ball. There are lots of rules and at first they're inexplicable, but there's always someone there who really likes to list them all. In this case, it's my wife, yeah, she used to be chill, but to her, pickleball's now a really big deal. If you play against us, yeah, you better watch out, because if we win a point, we're gonna shout, come on! Pickleball, Yeah, we should join a team! Pickleball, yeah. Four-inch inseam! Pickleball, yeah. Michelle
2: Esquivel. Yeah. ball Life. We
1: out. Uh, P-Ball Life, which is great. That song does continue. and They're like, we should do this all the time. We've only ever played once. <laughs> 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 there you go. Pickleball is life. It's just like Ted Lasso. Soccer is life. Hmm. For Ryan, Pickleball is life, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. future there. Bring it Good on. You. Are you okay with... Scuba diving, Ooh.
3: also something I've never done. However, I worked with a guy. His name, his last name was Scuba, and th- he had the best nickname ever—just Scuba. And I was like, "I'm so jealous that your nickname is Scuba." Because really? I, we just called him that. It was awesome. It was a great Scooby nickname. Scuby would do. Yeah. You call him Scoob. Scoob. Well, we go Scoobs. We worked at EB Games together. It was a good time. Uh, no. That's
1: cool. Um yeah. Uh, so scuba have you you've ever been no
3: you i've never been scuba diving i've uh like i've i've tried snorkeling but like in a pool i've never i've never been to the ocean right i've never swam in the ocean in my life what have you done huh what have i done i have i was on heartland <laughs> you did drama in high school? Oh, yeah, I um, did drama in high school. Um okay. Uh that yeah, was pretty no, good. No, no, I've never I've never scuba but I, I, I would I would I would 100% I love swimming, I love the water. I love the ocean. I feel at home there. Um so, but I just never really get the chance to do just it. Just never
1: been there. Okay. Yeah, I
3: live in a landlocked desert in the mountains, so Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I've
1: never been scuba diving, but I did do certification um, for scuba in a pool. You know the cool thing about scuba diving for me? I used to always have this dream about breathing underwater. And I was concerned for a long time that I was going to die by drowning. I mean, take note of that, by the way, just in case I ever die by drowning. like They'd be like, oh, oh, the the dreams do happen. But I used to have this dream that I was in a pool and then I could breathe underwater. And then I would... Uh, swim around, and I was happy. I was so happy. It was so cool. The thing about scuba that bothers me is all the ugly, slimy fish with big teeth that need braces. That—that's the part of scuba that I, I was never keen on. But I did that on the trip that I proposed to my kid's mother, and we did that. And then we um got really, really drunk. <laughs> and the scuba trip was supposed to be the next day, and oh, we were no. too hungover to. We were oh. like. Oh yeah. She it, was uh, puking up tequila shots on the boat on the way back from the cruise from the dinner on the island. Oh, God, yeah, you, it was terrible. you don't
3: want to do that with the uh, with the
1: harness on
3: or <laughs> the breathing. Tube. Yeah. So we
1: didn't <laughs> we do the snorkeling. That. We did not do the scuba. We did not do any of it because of that. But I did do it in a pool and I really, really loved it. It's the slime. It's the scuba's fine. It's the it's the neighbors in the water that I have a problem with. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I'm cur- curious if any uh, shift heads or scuba people Snooba would also be very interesting to me. But scuba yeah. is uh, is cool. The 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 feeling of breathing in underwater in that pool, which by the way, after I did that, I never have that nightmare again. I was I, I was immediately again. taken back to that dream and I'm like, this is it. This is the whole thing right now. So I kind of took it of like, well, I was supposed to do it here and I'm good with doing it here. That's all I ever needed to do. Take it as a message, I guess. But you never know what you'll see when you're diving in the ocean, right? Slimy things with big ugly teeth. There's water there, of course. That's the thing. A group of divers in BC saw something truly wild. They had an encounter with a juvenile blunt-nosed six-gill shark, a species that spends most of its life on deep, deep, deep on the ocean floor. Now, the normal reaction coming face to vac- face with a shark is soiling your suit.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's for sure. Um, your your wetsuit gets warm inside. They had a very different reaction, though.
3: When we first saw it, there was a lot of excitement. There's been a lot of comments about, uh, so are you done diving now? Like, you've seen everything. You've seen the the unicorn in our waters.
0: In late May, a group of four divers from Nanaimo headed out to a well-known shipwreck site off China Creek Marina in the Alberni Inlet. They were exploring roughly 30 meters down when they realized they weren't alone.
3: Just moved my light down, and I saw um, this gray thing large. I'm like, what the heck is that?
0: It was without a doubt a blunt nose six-gill shark. Unable to talk, the friends communicated their excitement with hand signals.
3: Hey, did you see a big shark.
0: While capturing the creature on two different cameras, proof of what they call an incredibly rare encounter.
3: For me personally, it was just a matter of I got to get the camera on and start filming because if I don't film this, no one's going to believe us.
0: According to Fisheries and Oceans Canada, the blunt-nosed six-gill shark is usually found in the demersal zone, more than 2,300 meters deep. It can grow up to 4.8 meters in length, has six long gill slits on each side and two rows of teeth. But that said, they're not especially dangerous.
3: I think it was young, and I think it was just curious of what we were and what was going on.
1: Okay, that's wild. I've been fishing there, by the way. Actually, I've gone quite a ways down further than that. There's a campground. um, It's called uh, Mctush Creek that is just south of that. And so it's not very far from Port Alberni. And... That water's deep there, but it's not twenty three hundred meters, whatever, deep. Uh, that was Kylie Stanton from Global, by the way. Uh, the group has notified fisheries and oceans Canada of the sighting, remarking on the lack of research on blunt no six skill sharks in Canadian waters anyway. Uh that that place is so rich with fish and salmon and all kinds of things. I just uh it's fascinating to me to see that. I the the panic that would kick in
3: if you it's... like do you see a shark? Yeah, like, it's a shark. Yeah. I will say, I've seen the video, which is pretty cool. It's a goofy-looking shark. Like, he's just chilling. He just seems really, really chill. Like, the kind of shark you'd see at an aquarium, except this is, like, a one-in-a-million sighting of one, uh, which mm. is it's wild to me that scientists are able, even able to identify the different species just based off of the most minute, different detail. And, mm. um, you know, there's... I I don't know the number, but it's like we've... Barely identified all of the species oh. that live in the ocean. Like we haven't even scratched the surface. Oh, <laughs> good, very good. Um,
1: fascinating to to think about. I there's a there's a a couple that I follow that they dive in Hawaii. They take photos. They free dive with you know those big fins, like those three foot yeah. long um, fins, and and they dive. And the photos they take are stunning. And they do shark dives all the time. They're the friendly ones, not the hungry ones. But they—they hmm. they, just the fact the photos they take with the light and the water. See that part of diving to me is amazing. But then I see the ugly things. It scares me a little. Yeah. Are you okay with roads? Roads?
3: I—I hate them. Like they're just. Well, no, I, I shouldn't say that. Roads are like one of the most important inventions in human history. But. The thing is, I think it's a very uniquely Canadian issue is that every year I see crews pave the busy roads and they, you know, they get that fresh, fresh coat of paint or tar or whatever. And it's so smooth. You know, you drive over it and you can feel the difference. And then six months later, it's torn to shreds. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I there's got to be a better way to build a road without a disintegrating every Canadian winter. But uh, it's probably too expensive.
1: Uh, they've tried the concrete, right? Um, mixing cement. And then they, they, they shave like parts of the Deerfoot, if you're driving in Calgary, like they're, they've got parts of that where they, they shave in the lines so the water runs out differently hmm. uh, versus asphalt and stuff like that. But that stuff cracks. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's frost is the problem is really the problem. If you drive into some cities where the potholes are terrible, Edmonton, Ottawa, Winnipeg, I mean, Calgary's bad, but it's not like some of those cities, Fort McMurray, when I lived up there, holy cow. Like when you drive on Vancouver Island, there's these big, beautiful reflectors. You can see everywhere, how far everywhere you go. And they can't do that in some of the other places because, uh, the snowplows would shave off all the reflectors, right? So they use paint and then the paint is gone like six months later, and then there's no lines on the road. How a tourist finds its way around Canada with our road conditions and no lines anywhere, I have no idea.
3: I will never forget. I've only been to Florida once, but we, got, we went to Orlando. And when we landed, it, it was nighttime and we leave the airport and I'm looking, we're on the big, you know, American freeway and everything's lit up by 3M, right? All the roads are, yeah. uh, you know, they got the streetlights, like but yeah. you we can see the reflectors absolutely everywhere. I was like, why don't we do this at home?
1: Yeah. And, that's why they use paint. Yeah, that's why. And yeah. paint with like little reflector glass bits
3: in it. So lucky them.
1: Lucky them. Okay. Um. Tra- Trucker Dan says, "I like roads. I just don't like the people on them." That's a very good point. They're valid. There is a new material being considered for road construction right now. It's called phosphogasm, phosphogypsum. Uh, not a gasm. <laughs> not a gasm. That chasm. is not the kind of. <laughs> that's a no. different kind of road. Yes. Uh, this byproduct of phosphate, and then its phosphate fertilizers are made. So it's PG. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's stored in massive mounds that are hundreds of feet tall. It's also radioactive. <laughs> it's a great plan. Yet some lawmakers want to have it in roads. So now, where would they want to do that? Oh, I know,
2: Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida?
1: Florida. Straight through. According to First Coast News, Florida lawmakers voted last week to use it as a road construction material given the Department of Transportation until the end of the year to study it. Here's the bill's sponsor. The DOT's suitability study absolutely contemplates worker safety. Exposure limits, environmental impacts.
0: More than 35 environmental groups from across the Southeast U.S. doubt that and have
3: we have sent a veto request to Governor DeSantis, urging him to veto these bills and prioritize the health and safety of Floridians and our environment.
0: Reagan Whitlock with the Center for Biological Diversity says the use of PG could be toxic for the ecosystem next to any roads built with it, let alone construction workers who handle it. The bill's sponsor admitted PG is radioactive, but said there are.
1: Regulations both on the federal and state level to ensure that all Floridians, including the construction workers that would be uh, working with this material, are safe.
3: Uh, Have you seen Chernobyl? You know, the the amazing HBO show where, movie? No, I didn't see that. Oh, you should watch the show. It's amazing. And, you know, uh, they're like, don't worry about it. It's not that big. I was alive for Chernobyl.
1: Real Chernobyl.
3: Yeah. Which is uh, terrifying. uh, But Mm. uh, not the fact that you were alive for it. Just chernobyl in general terrifying Um, thank you (laughs) Uh, you can't live there anymore and that's because there's just radiation everywhere i just Mm -hmm. don't is there a scenario where somebody goes yeah we could put radioactive material in the road and i'm sure the grass behind it and the squirrels that run across it are going to be fine
1: oh the squirrels would be as big as you but the um there's radiation everywhere though that's the thing right there's even radiation in construction tools Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. Right? So that's the thing. But I would be curious about the rain. I would imagine that the rain running across mm-hmm. it, is, it can't be good, right? But I guess you don't need streetlights if the road glows. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, some yeah, people you might have that like right, Mr. Burns glow.
1: Some people in the phosphate industry say something has to be done with the material in the large mounds, while others say that putting in in roads across the state is not the answer. Hmm. What does the, the research say? I think that's probably where you start.
3: Yeah, you know? and I, I just looked it up. And so the radioactive ingredient in PG is, called, is radium-226, which has a 1,600-year radioactive decay life, which mm. means once it's made for the mm. fertilizer... Which, by the way, a byproduct of our fertilizer becomes radioactive. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's going to be radioactive for 1,600 years. Yeah. Again, no streetlights. You never
1: know. Oh eh, no. Could be on to something. Um, bu- 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 bu. There you go. Cher- uh, Cherenkov effect on highways that make visibility at night so much better. LOL. Okay, mm-hmm. There you go. Um, I think it was a typo.